episode 274, What Telehealth Means After the Pandemic. This is my second conversation with Jonathan Thierman, MD, PhD. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Everybody's talking about the surge in telehealth usage. I wanted to talk to someone who has been ramping up their telehealth capabilities for a while to get a sense of what it takes to do it well. And as has been said by many, doing telehealth isn't just about technology. It's about training clinicians, patients, and accounts receivable and other staff. It's about rearranging workflows and processes. So I was super pleased to have had the opportunity to speak with Jonathan Thierman, MD, PhD. Dr. Thierman is an EHR doctor. He's also the chief medical information officer for LifeBridge Health Systems and medical director of the LifeBridge Health Virtual Hospital. This show has two parts. This is the second part, episode 274. Today, we'll get into some of the operational aspects of telehealth, like what EHR integration actually means and looks like. We talk about whether laws governing telehealth that were relaxed get stringent again. We talk about natural language processing and artificial intelligence and how they fold into the telehealth answer. I also ask Dr. Thierman for his advice to those potentially more new at the telehealth thing, what lessons he's learned, what critical success factors might be. One last point. In episode 273, and you probably don't need to listen to these in order, but in episode 273, which is the first part of this two-part series, Dr. Thierman and I discuss what telehealth can accomplish, maybe better than a face-to-face patient encounter and what it's not so good at. One thing that dawned on me as we were talking is that technology isn't just a video system. There's apps, there's AI, there's minivans full of lab equipment. There are other innovations that expand the capacity of a remote patient visit. My name is Stacey Rector. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Jonathan Thierman, MD, PhD. Welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you. It's great to be here. Okay, so let's talk about post-pandemic in the future. Right now, we've got, let's just say the the curtain has been thrown back or the floodgates have been opened. We've got parity from CMS, at least, and a a number of commercial payers relative to payment Mm -hmm. per visit. If you're not in a value-based world, you're still in an FFS world, Mm -hmm. which has often been cited as a a barrier. Nobody's going to spend 30 minutes trying to figure out how to send a bill for $9 or something, which is what earlier telehealth visits pre-pandemic mm-hmm. we're billing at. Mm-hmm. There's regulations that have been lifted, you know, like HIPAA has been rolled back to some extent, as well as the crossing state lines, licensure rules. Now we've got familiarity of the public and the acceptance of the public for telehealth as more and more patients. So, mm-hmm. you know, patients are figuring out how to get this done. Post-pandemic, let's just say that some of the pricing parity gets rolled back because, as you mentioned, it doesn't cost as much and someone's going to figure that out and or some of these regulations may or may not stay. I mean, the public is still going to demand it. But like, what do you think the net effect of those forces is going to be coming out of this? You touched on all of the points that that really have driven adoption in this pandemic of telemedicine. I think it's going to be very difficult to dial back most of those allowances. Some of them may be, you know, there's been a longstanding debate about whether or not medical licensure should be able to cross state lines. And telemedicine had made some small inroads before this whole pandemic where they 
had alliances of reciprocity for neighboring states. So you could practice in the two or three states that your state touched, or you could practice if your patient was on vacation or spent part of the year in Florida or whatever, but you were still in Maryland and they were established as a Maryland patient initially, you could still practice with them down in Florida remotely. So there were a bunch of small wins for telemedicine. And then, of course, with COVID-19, the state lines thing basically was eliminated. And so that might be dialed back. And I don't know if it should, because medicine really shouldn't be different. It's not like law where there's different regs and, and laws per state. The practice of medicine is fairly standard and universal. But anyways, that might be dialed back because that was kind of a big jump to just eliminate the state's abilities to to regulate their physicians independently and license them independently. But things that Medicare caught up with the rest of the world with, such as reimbursement and parity, I hope and I don't think that will be dialed back. Many private insurers, commercial insurers were already doing that. Many states had already passed parity laws that said if you cover for telemedicine, you have to cover at the same rate that you would for the similar visit in person. And even Medicaid actually covered more telemedicine than Medicare did. So the big, big win in terms of reimbursement came from the changes in Medicare policy and obviously depends on who's in the White House and other factors. But I'm hopeful that that doesn't really get dialed back because it makes perfect sense. And I think they were getting there. They just hadn't gotten there yet. And this kind of pushed them towards a position that they were going to get to. And so because they intended to get there, I don't think that they um, will go backwards too, too much. Well, patients are also voters, last time I checked. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) So so let's talk about this operationally a little bit, you know, relative to how telehealth visits go down and then ultimately how they support better patient outcomes. So what I'm talking about specifically is it's been said any number of times by any number of people that data these days is really essential in order to properly help a patient get to the best health they can be. Like data analytics, mm-hmm. I think Vinav Kosla said that if he wanted, if he was going to coach someone or tell someone how to what to study to be a doctor, he would tell them mm-hmm. math, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, just given or data analytics, just given this whole trend. So if the EHR systems are are being used to capture a lot of this data, you know, and then we've got telehealth going on, how do those two worlds fit together if I'm doing a telehealth visit as opposed to an in-person? Sure. I mean, data is key. And data is where my career in medical informatics really began before COVID-19 and even before telemedicine. It was all about data. As hospitals have adopted electronic health records, there's been more and more data input and captured, but very little and not yet enough done with the data to analyze the data and to figure out what the trends are and and what to do with the data and make actionable outcomes from the data. So data is key. And I think with telemedicine, the data will prove that it's valuable. And the focus, unfortunately, you know, it's ironic, the focus with EHRs, there's cartoons and criticism, and it's something I fought hard to against, was that the focus became on the computer screen and not on the patient. So, you know, there's a, a cartoon, I think it was in the Digital Doctor book, but a physician facing his computer screen while the patient sits there with like an arrow through their heart and he's <laughs> describing the uh, the symptoms while the, the physician's typing in the symptoms into his computer screen, not noticing that the patient's really injured. So that's where we were before. And it's a little ironic, but 
part of the reason we were there is because there's a lot of value in the data on the screen. And there's a lot of value in seeing the trend in hemoglobin A1C over the last four years or whatever, or the blood pressure trend over the last couple of months. So the irony is that with telemedicine, we actually are connecting with people better, more easily anyways, and we're able to kind of process the data and study the patient at the same time because we're focused on just one focal point, which is the screen, for better or for worse. But our setups, our telemedicine setups often have multiple screens. So one screen is dedicated just to the patient, and then the other screen is the data and the input of the data with the EHR. So I think data is key. I think it definitely helps us with the chronic disease management. And in our remote patient monitoring, we have lots of data and lots of touch points as the patients interact with us in a kind of a passive or asynchronous way with texts back and forth. In some of our scenarios, the, the texts are actually with bots. They don't may not know that, but the texts are with bots and with natural language processing. And when texts have alarming natural language processed, you know, they say the word chest pain or they say I've had weight gain and they're a CHF patient, then it gets escalated to a physician who calls them or does a telemedicine visit. So there's a lot of data and data. So that data is really communication. And so there's a lot more communication going on now between healthcare providers and their patients than there was before. We have patient portals, we have secure text messaging with our patients, and then we have these asynchronous kind of telemedicine remote patient monitoring setups. So all of that is data. And the truth is, even now, we're still scratching the surface of what insights we can gain from the data. So effectively, what you're getting at is, again, kind of reinforcing the point that telehealth is not the standalone thing, that it's best utilized in a six-pack of services. For example, as you mentioned, remote patient monitoring, which could be the wired blood pressure cuff or whatever, but also it could be that there are outgoing messages to the patient, data inputted that then gets stuck into the EHR. So that instead of, you know, healthcare has traditionally been very patient-driven, like patient decides or initiated, patient decides that they want to see the doctor as opposed to the doctor realizing that the patient really needs to be seen. And there's certain advantages to that because the patient's not a doctor. So how does the patient know that they have just experienced a worrisome symptom? (laughs) It would seem to make a lot more sense that there is kind of a, a, a proactive outreach going on when necessary and that telehealth is embedded inside of a larger solution, which is dedicated to producing the best health for patients. I guess it begs the question, what is telehealth? And I think the answer is still evolving and we're still figuring it out. There, you know, there's not, we had talked about actually starting like a telehealth fellowship at LifeBridge, but there's really not a lot of formal training in residency or med school or anything like that about telehealth. And I think that will be something that evolves. But, you know, what is telehealth? It's not just FaceTime. It's not just secure FaceTime with great data encryption, so it's HIPAA compliant. It's really all those other things that you mentioned. It's the the coming together of data and analytics and some video technology and maybe some AI and maybe some home delivery services like the vans that, that deliver the x-ray or the, the blood draw to your house or your nursing home. All of that together and probably combined with a body of knowledge that will become residency and fellowship training programs about how to manage a patient remotely. All that together, I think, is telehealth. You know, I learned in residency from Dr. Kellen, who's the 
longtime chair of emergency medicine at Johns Hopkins, really how important the, the story was in the patient. And he's a very distinguished, longtime, still practicing ER doctor, but I've never seen him get his hands dirty. He actually is a very distinguished looking guy and has a crisp white coat and his hands are always in his pockets in the front of his white coat, but he's brilliant. And he always knew what was going on with the patients without ever touching them, just from listening to them and seeing and observing things. So, you know, he taught me and others to value the story above everything else. Physical exam was secondary. I think telemedicine exemplifies that. And there'll be some new lessons learned about what things you can pick up on through telemedicine that maybe are more important or less obvious than in person. Some things you mentioned, like what does the home look like and what's the environment look like and things like that. Yeah, I had Dr. Kimberly Noel from Stony Brook on and she talked about how there was a need to train doctors in what she called website manner. You know, like all the training <clears throat> as far as in bedside manner, but it's different. Yeah, it's not the same. Definitely. Relative to the connectivity here, just, you know, once again, very operationally, is the telehealth console sort of like inside the EHR system? Do you recommend that because it's easier and you don't have to be cutting and pasting? Or like, how do those technology systems tend to align? That's a good question. So really for now, and certainly with us at LifeBridge for now, they're fairly standalone and distinct. You know, the... EMR, the EHR is good at what it's good at, and I don't think it should try and be good at everything. And then telemedicine video, telemedicine companies are good at what they're good at. So there have been some partnerships and alliances between the major EMRs and the major telemedicine companies. There's been some very slow-moving efforts to embed the video into the EMR, but I don't think there's a lot of value to that yet. And that integration is just kind of like bolting on to something, something else that doesn't necessarily make sense. So it's like a bolt-on integration, not a true integration. And, and so until things are really tightly integrated, you don't get the value that you might otherwise. And I can tell you some of those value points that I think are coming. So right now, to be practical, speak, practically speaking, it's, it's like you're running two different software programs at the same time. So you're running your EMR and you're running your telemedicine program at the same time. Our physicians have at least two screens and one is running one thing and focused on one thing and the other is doing the other. Basically, if I'm a doctor, a patient calls in for the visit, I can see them on the screen, but basically I'm dialing them up in the EHR system at the same time. Like there's another window and it's got their patient record in there. Yeah. So, you know, if information has been collected vis-a-vis -vis remote patient monitoring or text, like that's all integrated in the EHR. So I can see all that inside the EHR, but I'm looking at them in another yeah. window. And the limits, the, the extent to which there's integration, and I'm doing air quotes, but you can't see me right now, between um, it, the EHR and the telemedicine programs is things like that. So if you schedule and register through a portal with the EHR, you can have the EHR launch the video session when from the EHR when the patient is, you know, visit is is time. So that's an integration or vice versa. When the patient connects with you, it can automatically pull up the patient's chart in the EHR so you don't have to type in their name or MRN to pull up their chart. So there's some loose integrations like that. And that's pretty much the extent of it. Deep integrations will come. And I still don't know that the EHR vendors should become telemedicine platforms, but 
their partnerships and their deep integrations are, are on their way. And some of those include partnering with natural language processing software programs like Enmodal or Nuance and having these ambient listening software platforms integrated with the EHR and with the telemedicine visits. So you could, and this isn't really uh, science fiction, uh, this is already kind of in beta testing now, and it's pretty amazing. You could speak with the patient by a video visit and while you're speaking, the, the natural language processing engine is understanding who's the physician, who's the patient, and picking up keywords of signs and symptoms the patients might be telling you and putting those into your history of present illness, the HPI part of the note, and then picking up other elements and putting those into other parts of the note. Observations the physician make over verbally make over the video platform might be added to the physical exam part of the note. So these ambient listening NLP engines are coming and here really, and those are exciting integrations. And there's other integrations uh, in terms of data. And as we talked about the AI ability uh, to pick up on vital signs and other things, those will integrate as well into the EHR and kind of connect. They'll be the glue. These third-party, if you will, platforms of NLP or AI will be the glue that connects the video visit with the EHR. But ultimately, you know, we'll get there Right now, running in parallel side by side, it's a little clunky, but it's it definitely works. It doesn't make sense to be fully integrated until or to be integrated until the value is there with some of these enhancements I'm speaking about that are not there yet. And that's when it will make sense to be one package and hopefully still powered by whatever the telemedicine company is that's really good at the video encryption and encoding and stuff like that. But I'm also hearing you say kind of folded in here is that another thing that's really important is making sure that there's training for physicians or clinicians who are embarking on this because you do, it does sound like that there's, it doesn't sound insanely difficult, but it does sound like there's things you need to know. Yeah, I mean, medicine has evolved and changed. And as technology becomes more prominent, doctors are forced to become more computer savvy and not, I wouldn't say computer experts, but definitely need to understand the ins and the outs of the software. And so with EHRs, they were forced into that role. And so with telemedicine, there'll definitely need to be training in terms of understanding connectivity and platform, cross-platform video and things like that. The other training, like I was mentioning, was the clinical training. I think there's a lot of hidden gems that, that need to be explored and codified and be become a part of the medical training in, in med school and residency that are related to telemedicine. If you were going to give advice, you know, obviously you guys are really far down the curve here and you didn't just stand up a whole telemedicine system de novo in the past month, you know, like you had a really solid basis to start from. And basically, so your task was kind of expanding it, not necessarily starting it. What advice do you have for organizations that might not be so far along the curve? You know, like what was the lesson learned? One piece of advice would simply be to jump in because it's not going away. And it's it changes hard and it's challenging, but and it's not profitable when you first jump in either. But you have to jump in and get your feet wet and get involved and start uh, doing what you can in this area because it's an area that's here to stay and will probably grow tremendously. I mean, the estimates of telemedicine growth before COVID nineteen were extraordinary, five year growth, and now they're they're probably fivefold that uh, in terms of predictions of how many millions of visits and billions of dollars and whatnot is going to be attributed to telemedicine. So. Number one piece of advice would just be to get, you know, get started and, and not wait. 
And then another piece of advice, I guess, would be it doesn't have to be as expensive as you think. And a lot of systems, fortunately ours, uh, we are very cost conscious and we are very shrewd about picking software vendors. And, and also when we sign up with software vendors, do we need all the bells and whistles or are we, we going to negotiate a kind of a starting package and we'll build from there as we need it? So other health systems have spent millions, if not tens of millions of dollars setting up telemedicine and it's totally not necessary. There's very low cost ways to jump in and get your feet wet. And so don't be afraid to get in the pool, but also you don't have to have the Cadillac of, of services from the beginning, and you can kind of grow into what you need by starting relatively inexpensively. So those are the two pieces of advice I'd give. Dr. Jonathan Thierman, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. Stacy, it was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.